Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, Drop. podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Dania, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. So when we started having the conversation about Clubhouse, one of the things that was like very apparent is that there's there's a lot of questions around the creator economy, who's going to control the creator economy, who's going to win at monetizing the creator economy, or who's going to win at retaining the largest amount of the creator economy. YouTube actually is really huge. And not just in terms of the number of people who actually, you know, go to YouTube every day, which by the way, some statistics, um, there's approximately 8 billion people in the world. It's something like 7.97 billion or something like that. And about a quarter of those people, so 25% of those people go to YouTube on a routine basis, right? So a quarter of all people go to YouTube. They're not necessarily going just to watch the dumbest videos. Like people go to YouTube to learn things. They go to YouTube to listen to podcasts. They go to YouTube to literally participate. In fact, I'm even a part of a few different in real life groups who actually post unlisted YouTube videos on YouTube to share with their community as a part of their monetization scheme. All that is really great context. And you start to think about content, content generation, and essentially who's the biggest streamer in the world, right? There's a part of this conversation that's simply that. Because the number of minutes that people spend on YouTube is astronomically larger than if you put Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and Paramount and every other streamer combined, you, you start to approach the numbers that YouTube does. And then the other reason behind that that's very significant is that there's no business model if it's not profitable. So one of the things that's very fascinating about YouTube is that in 2021, they did over $26 billion in advertising and not the most expensive advertiser out there. In fact, they don't even come in the top five, you know, when you compare it against Facebook or Bing or Apple or anything like that, or even Netflix, which is playing on doing $65 per thousand views, right? which is one of the highest numbers in terms of advertising in, in any advertising model that possibly exists. So ultimately, this episode is going to be about why YouTube is going to win in the content game. I think that you have to define what the content game is. There's a lot of arenas that YouTube is playing in. They're a little bit of social media. They're a little bit of a content hosting platform. They're a little bit of streaming. They're user generated and what they call endemic. So the kind of major conglomerate Media companies are also on YouTube and leveraging it. Comedy Central, ABC, NBC, MSNBC is also on YouTube. So it's a little bit of TV. Whatever is on TV is also on YouTube. Joe Rogan. Yes. Who took a $200 million deal from Spotify is still on YouTube. Everybody is still on YouTube as a, as a way to host their content and share it with the world. This is essentially what YouTube is plays in so many arenas and it's also a really major advertiser. 
So it's very hard to categorize what YouTube is. But YouTube's advertising sales increased by 4.8%, $7.3 billion in the second quarter this year. Forget about the rate of increase. Just a $7.3 billion per quarter business. That's huge. There are some other numbers that make this interesting. 500 hours of content are uploaded every minute. That's essentially three weeks worth of your time is uploaded every minute. There's 1 billion hours of content watched per day. There's no way that any human person can watch the entirety of content that is on YouTube. It's not humanly possible to do so. Here's an interesting stat, though. There are 5,000 creators with over a million followers. YouTube boasts about paying out $30 billion to creators. It is unclear who's getting the largest share of that money, whether they're the endemic creators like the media companies that are already the big players in the space, or they're truly independent influencers that are getting paid most of that money. Another stat that recently came out, Mr. Beast, which is a very famous uh, YouTube creator influencer, is purportedly the highest paid influencer making over a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. 30 billion paid out, highest paid person got a hundred million. So where does that money go? The reality is, is that the majority of content creators will not be able to live on the content they create. And we know this because historically musicians have not been able to survive. Actors have not been able to survive. Comedians have not been able to survive. So I don't think that to a certain extent, YouTube's responsibility is to, to create a sustainable business for content creators. What I really think that YouTube is doing is creating a, a very simplified process to more easily monetize the content that you create. Yeah. I was thinking about the true value add of YouTube, and, and it starts with, you know, my own process with YouTube. For instance, about a decade ago, I, I uploaded my very first video to YouTube, and the video was, uh, it was a, of a blues singer in Chicago. And there were no videos of this person, so I just uploaded it because I was just like, someone needs to know this amazing performer exists. Even then you could tag, this is an artist. They had an artist page. You could tag them in that page. If what's really interesting there is that it cuts two ways. It's like one, if you are someone who creates dynamic user-generated content, you know, it, it literally in, within minutes, your content's up there. So the ease of use and the fact that you can, you don't have to be anyone. You don't have to have any special relationships. All you have to do is have a Google account, at least a quarter of the world's population seems to have a Google account. All you actually need to get started, which is, again, it's so much it's so much simpler than when you think about some of the other streaming partners. Is the future for YouTube in user-generated content or if it's in own content? What's really interesting about this is where you have data. A few years ago, YouTube tried to go through and create its own content. And in fact, that's how you got Cobra Kai, which eventually did end up on Netflix. Netflix bought it from YouTube. And it didn't really go well. Some of the shows were hits, right? That's why Cobra Kai was purchased. However, it just, it didn't stick in the same way as um, it does on some of the other services. And in fact, YouTube TV, which is still present, that still exists, is essentially just, you know, broadcast TV plus works that you can get across YouTube, which again, is not own content from YouTube. And, and what I think about that and what I love about that is that it makes sense. Like, why would they pay specifically an upfront price for pieces of content when they know that tens of billions of hours are consumed all the freaking time 
for content that's just, you know, me in my backyard, potentially, you know, um, talking about how how great my new grill is. I think that's insightful. I think YouTube has figured out what it's good at and that it can't be everything to everyone. It's a smart strategic choice for you to to just play the middleman. That they can invest in their technology. What Google has that these other companies don't have is just a stake in the sand on algorithms, on their ability to develop a tech platform that is truly what is the underpin of their platform. We're a platform that allows you to host your videos, that you can do whatever you want with it. We also create the technology that makes it very easy to share this information, very easy to discover information. This is what we invest in. Their slogan could be, we have algos, we have algorithms. That's a very, very valuable proposition to a creator. I decide to do with those algorithms what I choose to do, Mr. Beast being one of those. He decided to manipulate the algorithms in his favor, play this game in order to create a massive following and leverage that and monetize that. Other people have a smaller following. They just want to host these private videos and they share it. Other people just want to uh, create courses or whatever it is. But YouTube is basically saying there's a lot of money to be made by being a platform that can service the needs of anybody who wants to host a video and share it with the world. And in that way, they have to provide value to both sides. We're middlemen, where we, we allow creators to create user-generated content. We also make it discoverable for people who want to find that user-generated content. The problem that, that companies like Netflix, who's squarely in the media game, Netflix is a content creator. So is HBO, so is Disney. These are IP people. What they're betting with all their dollars is we create good enough content that it is worthwhile for you to continue subscribing over an indefinite amount of time. Not for just this show, Game of Thrones, or this show, uh, Cobra Kai, but indefinitely because we're going to keep delivering this promise month over month. If you like us today, you'll like us a year and a half from now, two years from now. That's what they're basically trying to say. So they have to constantly invest in creating hits. YouTube doesn't have this challenge. Yeah. Because if you fail from that promise, uh, uh, you know, Disney, HBO, you get churned. People just stop bribing. YouTube just basically says, I'm giving you a platform for you to be whatever you want. Issa Rae, I'm going to put out free content and hopefully I get a deal from HBO, which is basically like a launching pad. And in that way, they get to be very valuable and only invest in the technology that users like you and I would want to use in order to fulfill our own promises. Not diminishing how hard it is, but they've already staked their their flag in that sand. And I think they're riding that line very, very hard. If they failed with this Cobra Kai thing, trying to do IP and content, they learned very early on to get out of that business. The economics yeah. are very different. Why this business model so sustainable? COVID provides such a great example, right? Because most of the world's media companies literally just didn't have content. Like they couldn't record content because we didn't know how safe it would be, what processes you needed to actually follow. There was no way to test, right? So like you legitimately could not go through the process of creating content. But every YouTube creator could still create something in their backyard. You can right. still, you know, record a song. You can still record. My wife, she really, really, really loves gardening, nature type videos. So she was, she was watching all of those, zinning out, things like that. And so the, the, the concept never stops. As you start to think about this competition, you know, so much of it is like, well, well you need IP 
But the thing is, if IP stops, then you are in a situation where you're not fulfilling the value that you've told your customers they're going to fulfill. You know, I was pregnant in 2021 and I was legitimately going to my, my OBGYN and she knew I worked at Netflix and she was like, what's up with your, your service? I was like, first of all, I am like, I, I don't want to answer difficult questions right now, first of all, but you know, she was just like, like, there's just not that much on there. Well, you know, it's COVID. You know, they're trying to string out all this content that they had, which was not supposed to last for this long. It wasn't supposed to be a, a one or two or three or four year process. It was supposed to be you're going to stop for a very short period of time and then you're going to re- be able to record more content. And so when when COVID happened, that hit so many of, you know, production companies, streamers, very, you know, in a very difficult place because they didn't have enough content stored up. And reality is, is, why would you have a lot of content stored up? That's not the that's not the model for any of the right. services to have. You know, they're they're not the old production houses that would have a movie that they were you know gearing up to to sell, and so they would spend two, three, four years developing the perfect marketing plan. It's not like that. It's like, no, let's get this recorded, let's get this out there. So I think that's one thing that's very very important is that this YouTube can exist regardless of the circumstances that are going on in the world, and I think that that's very important. The second thing that I think is super important is that, you know, it's very apparent, you know, from a content creator perspective, you're always looking for ways to eke out some kind of profit, some kind of way to sustain your creativity. But what, what it's not elaborated on, on, on enough, in my opinion, is how valuable YouTube ads are to actual corporations. So the majority of the reason I use YouTube on a regular basis is to generally watch business. YouTube videos. So I love listening to product management leaders, leadership thinkers, things like that. And what I notice is that the ads that I get, the more I watch this become more locked in, they're more useful to me. I got an ad the other day that was about leadership class. And I was just like, I've never heard this program before. I looked at the program. The program actually sounds really good. I might pursue it. I think there's something unique about Google's um, internal mechanisms that they use to track individuals and track their performance. And this goes into the face of the folks like Snap and Facebook who've struggled a lot with Apple's um, changes in security functions, right? You have an Apple device now. You can choose not to have your cookies followed. And as such, it's much more difficult for um, services like Facebook and Snap to surface the right type of uh, ad to you. And therefore, the conversions are very much skewed and it's becoming very difficult to understand what their value is. I think that because YouTube's system is part of the larger Google ecosystem. They already know every search that I do within Google, unless I've specifically told them not to check my search. They know my emails because, you know, it goes through Gmail and unless I've specifically told them not to check my search. And then you add on that. So two types of videos I watch. I watch business videos. I also watch lots of music videos. And so I figured out pretty quickly, I'm very black. And so all of a sudden, I also got better ads. And I was just like, wait, there's a new restaurant over here. That's, that that looks good. That looks like some good chicken. You know, and so all of a sudden, I'm like, let's go eat this chicken. So to your point of it being the, the king of the algorithms, it's not just that it's the king of the algorithms. So there are a lot of algorithms out there. It's the king of the personalized algorithm. This is an algorithm that truly has capacity to see my interest because it, I'm, I'm part of this larger ecosystem, larger Google ecosystem. And so the ads are much more tailored to me. So it's, it's something like a fifth or an eighth of the price of a Facebook ad. You know, when you start thinking about the scalability from the business side of things is the part of an ecosystem that converts for me at a rate that's far cheaper 
than if I tried to utilize some of these other services. And I think that that's something very interesting about YouTube that other services just simply don't have. Because frankly, I don't understand how Netflix is going to justify $65 per thousand views, right? Uh, because that's that's a really, really high number. So that's not going to be the thing that's going to really make Netflix super successful. And and, and I think that that's something that um, is YouTube has a really, really great handle on so far. YouTube created the creator economy and their algorithms are testament of their ability to either make or break a star. Going back to the stat of 500 hours of content uploaded every minute of the day, you need very powerful algorithms that would allow your content to go viral. It is partly in the algorithms that allow that to happen. It's not all natural. YouTube absolutely has the value proposition to say we have the ability to make or break you or turn you into a star. That's what TikTok is trying to do as well. And I think there will probably be a battle of who can make more money off of which platform. The economics of hope is a powerful business model. And I think that YouTube and TikTok are both in that space in the sense of saying you can pursue stardom here. We're not guaranteeing it to you, but you can pursue it here. And there's a lot of money to be made in that pursuit. And so they'll just invest on this middleman strategy of making it very easy for creators to pursue what they want to pursue and uh, developing the algorithms that make it easier for their efforts to be noticed by the other side of this double-sided platform, which is viewers and creators. I agree with your sentiment on the Netflix strategy. I foresee that this industry is going to become extremely saturated. This is probably a whole nother podcast on just the future of streaming in general. But I do think it was wise of YouTube to say, we're going to stay in the user-generated game. The economics are better. We aren't going to have this ever-increasing $17 billion play. Just imagine who's in this game. Amazon is in this game. They just purchased MGM. Apple TV Mm -hmm. is in this game. Netflix is in this game. HBO is in this game. And what's going to happen is going to be large amounts of money exploding into this area of creating content with increasingly diminishing returns. How long can you really keep a customer based on that multi-billion dollar investment? It's going to be diminishing returns just because the volume is there. Again, 500 hours of content on YouTube alone. I mean, YouTube's business is only going to go down when people dramatically decrease the amount of content they're uploading. And they get a long way to go. Part of my business practices, I upload videos of my content so that people can see that I am a real speaker. And I've never had any expectation of actually monetizing that. So I share that because YouTube is getting something for free. Right. You know, because you're like, well, this is just a part of my process because I want to help expand my platform. And I don't think I'm going to make a dollar off of that. But the YouTube users who come to YouTube to seek out knowledge or to seek out something to pass the time for are still getting the hundreds or thousands of hours of all of us people out there who are like, we have no expectation of monetizing YouTube. Every other service out there that they have to pay up front, then they have to hope to connect you to that content so that you actually engage with it. So you become a sticky user and then they have to keep doing that over and over and over again. YouTube is just like, we're going to make the simplest, easiest platform we possibly can. You upload that piece of content. We're not even going to guarantee we'll pay you for it. All we will do is guarantee that someone's going to see it. Someone who's going to see it maybe is that, that one person in your audience that you actually need 
whatever, but you still feel validated as someone who's been able to participate in this process. It's, 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 it's so smart. They are literally making money off of us. <laughs> they will always make money off of you. If they define the problem correctly, and I'm going to define it for them, we are a platform that allows users to share their videos anywhere around the world. That's it. We're not creator content. We're not that. So it allows any of us along this spectrum to engage in YouTube. And they're still making money off of you, even if you only intended for one person to see that video, because they wisely developed the suggestion box tool after every video. They're making ad revenue off of you because the free user is going to see a commercial in between yours, whether they pay that out to you or not. It's part of their model. They're going to suggest a video for them to see after your video plays so that they stay on the platform longer, increases their ability to see more ads. They're always making money. So they have rightfully set this business model up for a freemium model, a paid subscription. They've got both of these models on both sides. You can be a paid subscriber to YouTube to avoid seeing advertisements, or you can be a free user and advertisements are part of it. You can upload videos with the intent of monetizing it. Or you can upload the video with the intent of only one or three people looking at it. Either way, you're facilitating the ecosystem of user-generated content on this platform that just increases the number of eyeballs that are going to be on this platform. Statistic I saw said that of the world population, they cover 95% of the languages that are specifically spoken. And I think that's another thing that's very interesting to me because YouTube comes to you in the form that you need. I could be anywhere in the world and I can Google a search and then my YouTube video shows up. So how to navigate uh, Airport X, there's going to be a video. Let's just be truthful. Like I, I've, I've not found many things that, that I've had a question about that I haven't been able to find through some kind of YouTube search. No matter what language I speak, I can go to that video and chances are it could be translated into that language. I don't even necessarily have to do that. As a creator, I can utilize some of the third-party services that connect YouTube to translate it to those different places as well. Some ways, it kind of feels like a mo modern-day translation service, right? Like if there's something that's interesting, that there's a piece of content that you're really looking for, you can not only find it, but you can find it in your language and it's very approachable to it. It's very, it's very digestible to you. And so that's the other part of YouTube that I think is super valuable that most people don't think about is the fact that from a creator perspective, it's going to meet your needs in terms of being able to put that content out there in a language that is, is most useful. Which means that you can then try to monetize that piece of content over and over again in different places. If Google is to be the text search engine of the world, then their aim is for YouTube to be the video search engine of the world. And I think that they are doing a pretty damn good job of paving the way for that. Just how much content is uploaded every day. I think one of the best ways that you can define YouTube is that it's a launch pad. If you think about all of the things you're talking about, discovery, creating a podcast, and you immediately you say, even though it's on Spotify or Apple, that's not the best discovery tool. For some reason, you feel like you still need to go to YouTube. It's the quickest way. If you wanted to create content or any kind of content, you're immediately always going to go to YouTube because it's the quickest way to launch an idea. You have someone like Issa Rae, who is in L.A., wants to work in Hollywood, sure she wants to have a show on HBO, goes through YouTube first to launch that. YouTube is the MVP of that career. You take Squid Games, Netflix creates Squid Games, 
and Mr. Beast wants to create a viral hit or game show out of it, he doesn't go to Netflix, he goes to YouTube because he just has that much agency. It's a launching pad for a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are going to launch their careers on YouTube, even if it's only in the hopes of getting a bigger paycheck by one of the media conglomerates. And I think that if YouTube stays in that lane and, and views itself as that and creates the tools that make it easy on both sides to create and discover, they won't need to play into this content or streaming game. Uh, the economics on that side are just not as good as what they have here. YouTube will own this space of being a video search engine platform that allows people to create content easily and share it with the world. And they will hone that skill, creating more tools for creators, developing greater algorithms for discoverability, and they will make money in advertising in that way. You know, not only will it be the number one service for video content creators, I think that it will continually make it more expensive for IP holders to encourage users to become part of their services versus being a part of YouTube. And say that because of the Joe Rogan case. A lot of people were very shocked at Joe Rogan's contract with Spotify. The reason the contract was so large, the nine-figure amount, was because of how much money he made from YouTube. Mm. And so again, folks, YouTube's business model is you upload a piece of content for every thousand views, you get X amount of money. And from what I understand, there's tiers, right? So I'm sure Joe Rogan was at the very top tier of content creators on YouTube and how much money he received. But he was making so much passive money from the videos that he had on YouTube that Spotify had to offer him a contract that would compensate him for the amount of money he was losing from YouTube. Think about things like this. So if you are company A, B, C, D, E over here and you want to get creator F to come to your service, you know, let's think about Twitch, like gamers. YouTube has often been a place for a lot of the, the various gaming videos. If Twitch wanted to get one of those gamers to come over to Twitch, they have to compensate them by offering them more money than what they can make passively in YouTube. And so it's going to make content so much more expensive for these streamers. And again, YouTube isn't paying anyone up front for any of this. So they have an obvious advantage in this process over all of the various streaming services. Because again, their biggest value is they make it super easy for individuals to get into the creator economy and monetize it. YouTube and Amazon are two of my, my picks for like services that just make sense, right? Okay. Because YouTube is essentially just a distributor. And Amazon is essentially just a distributor. They defray a lot of the costs for the businesses through third parties. And then they, they surface the content to their users in such a way that it's very valuable and easy. And so people want to participate in them. What I hear you say that, what I really go back to is they have found the persistent need, going back to jobs to be done, and delivered that need consistently. Meaning what could be the risk of these other platforms like a Snap, TikTok, is they're very in the now. They're very in the fad. TikTok is a very large company, a lot of money behind them. They're nimble because they invest a lot of resources into being as nimble as they are because they're serving very transient needs, very in the now. They have to be the next TikTok mm -hmm. for the next TikTok is the next TikTok. Mm -hmm. Where YouTube has found this very persistent need. People will always need a way to share videos online. We created that. We will maintain that persistent need. Just like Amazon has proven the point of people will always need a way to get things or buy things online. And if we stay in that lane and create the easiest way to do that, to achieve that goal, 
middleman. So not only are they middleman, but there's a middleman you can trust. Thing about both services, when you think about it, is they 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 obviously are building really solid customer profiles of their users. I really think that this is super important because I think as product people, this is what we try. People always say, I would like to delight my customer. But what does it actually mean to delight a customer? It's interesting about YouTube is that they figured out somehow how to not only build this perfect profile of you, not only encourage users to create all this great content that could be very useful to you, but the fact that they can marry it, right, consistently over time. And it does not matter how old the video is, like still knows that me as someone who's in 2022, that's exactly the type of content that I would be very interested in. I think that's the thing also about it, because there's there's a certain newness that comes with other services that I think is always a fallacy. What I watched most during COVID was not new shows beyond the fact that there weren't that many new shows that existed. It was the fact that Law and Order has, you know, 16, 17 seasons. Grey's Anatomy has like 15 seasons. The things that I was looking for were things that I could commit to for an extended period of time. And what I love about YouTube is that it's not, you don't have to naturally opt into that, right? The algorithm says, until you tell me to stop, I'm going to keep serving you pieces of content to keep you entertained for hours at a time that, that will delight you in ways that you that are completely unexpected. And it becomes a little bit addictive. So my wife, she loves the garden and she loves the urban garden. So being in the city, there's, there's nuances there. And she can go through and watch 24, 48, 100 hours of videos in a very short period of time and become an expert on something. Another piece of the value that I think that a lot of the other streaming services don't have. Because even if you are primarily looking for content that is comedy, even if you're looking primarily looking for content that's drama or things like that, there's something that's really fascinating about the fact that YouTube can really speak you in that. If I go to many other services, I'm going to run out of drama shows. There's only so many. I'm going to run out of comedy shows. There's only so many. On YouTube, because of the, the billions of hours of, of, of content that already exists, there's, it's very unlikely that I will ever come to the point that I will ever run out of something. And so that's why they have to continue to make the service easier, easier, and easier to use and easier for other people to discover because they do have to still have that commitment that they're going to always have a piece of content that I can consume that I'm going to enjoy at the drop of the hat. If I had to think about like the special sauce that YouTube has, and there's a stat that comes out that says most Gen Zs are doing most of their search not on Google and on TikTok. And if this is a piece of news that's supposed to make Google or Alphabet or the YouTube division a little bit worried, um, I don't think that they should be. I think the advantage of a platform like YouTube is that they are part of one of the tentacles of Alphabet. And the winner in this game is going to be those that have the most data on its users. Because again, there's just that much content that is out there. So your ability to facilitate the discovery of content is all in the algorithms. And YouTube has that in spades because they're deeply integrated into a lot of people's minds or a lot of people's lives, digital lives, that is. There's Google Suite. You're, they're reading your Gmail. They're, if you're on Android, they have access to all of this data. If you're on Google search, they have access to that as well. These are things that they use to inform the algorithm what to show you on YouTube, which is how they have such a, a staggering amount of hours of content watched per day. TikTok is not known for long form content. This is why it's the only reason why I put that point over on YouTube's. They're not mm -hmm. on long form content and YouTube has long form content. 
that's what skew those numbers upwards. To your point about the historical information, there's mm-hmm. videos I can watch from nine years ago, 10 years ago. It's still there. They just don't have that much. And I just don't know if TikTok has the amount of data that YouTube can have on any given user that allows this algorithm to work in its favor to keep that user there long enough. Meaning everybody's going to be gaming this metric. Well, everybody has this metric on social media. Active users, eyeballs, if it's content, long form content like that, how many minutes per user or how many minutes per day, they all have this metric that they're tracking. And the ability to gain that metric is based on what are you suggesting to the user? If they're there to watch one video, what's the next video that you're going to promote to them to keep them on? Who has the better advantage? YouTube. In this instance, right now, if you had to put these two numbers up on the board, I would say YouTube is winning in that ability to keep a user engaged longer. TikTok may have a younger generation now, and you know YouTube is probably going to figure out how to capture that Gen Z. They did rip off shorts, right? So I heard they did well with that. One of the things I think is very unique about YouTube is that you can go to YouTube and become an expert on something. And to some extent, TikTok has tried to get into that same lane. Because like people will be like, oh, I learned it on TikTok, that type of thing. But the thing is, in order to actually become an expert in something, I think the statistic is you have to do 10,000 hours of a thing in order for you to actually become an expert. In contrast, let's say if I wanted to become someone who can fix my car, like whatever car issue I have, it's probably easy to find 10,000 one-hour videos on YouTube. It's not that easy to find 100,000 one-minute videos on TikTok. And chances are it's not going to be dynamic or detailed enough on TikTok. So it's not just an algorithm. It's also about the content exists. Can you actually get what you're seeking from that? Because it's much easier for me to perceive TikTok as a place that I can go to to find funny or salacious content. But it's much more difficult. And what's the kind of content? That's the rat race that they've created. I get your point on that. YouTube has created a library of videos that can potentially stand the test of time. Exactly. And so, and again, it fulfills your need to laugh. It fulfills your need to learn. It fulfills your need to teach someone else if that's what you're looking for. There's a lot more jobs to be done when it comes to YouTube than it when it comes to TikTok or any of the other platforms out there. This is the second time we brought up this middleman philosophy in terms of product management. Clubhouse failed at it. Mm-hmm. Is failing at it, at being a good middleman. YouTube is excelling at it. Are there other, maybe this is just a wide out question, are there other middleman platforms that are succeeding or or not succeeding in this space? Probably poll. I'm just saying, you know, not for discussion now, we're up, but just thinking about it. I like this view. Are they doing a good job of being a middleman? Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are the Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to The Drops Podcast.